Today, I was able to welcome Todd Williamson into the fatherhood. About four years ago, a career opportunity took he and his wife to Berlin, Germany. Two and a half years ago, their family expanded when their son Hudson was born. In my conversation with Todd, who's originally from Atlanta, we talk about the experience of becoming a father in a foreign country, some of the challenges he faced while he was there, and how the transition has been since he relocated back to the United States. I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is The Fatherhood. Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. So, man, you know, the funny thing about it is last week I actually had uh, my guest whose son's name was Hudson as well. Okay. And and he was the first one I actually heard, um, actually knew who named their son Hudson. And then you were the second one um, whose name was Hudson. So I thought it was interesting to have two guests back to back whose sons uh, had the same name and who happened to be named Hudson, which I thought was was pretty cool. Right. So, Todd, before we get into our conversation, man, just tell tell the people a little bit about about yourself, what you have going on nowadays. Uh, so, I just started um, at a public relations firm here in New York, um, SKD Knickerbocker, uh, as a vice president, where I work on um, corporate and, and nonprofit uh, clients, uh, and and really it's been kind of a career adjustment. I say it's 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 going back from where I started because, you know, at Hampton, I was at the Scripps Howard School of Journalism. Uh, my master's is in communications and technology. Uh, and somewhere along the way, I moved over to a policy role um, when I was on the Hill and it just went on from there. And so making that transition back into the U.S. and back into New York, I've kind of boomeranged in a sense and are now back into the public relations and media relations side of things. Awesome. And, and, and like like me, you are father to a son. And ironically, uh, as I was just mentioning, um, his name is Hudson. So tell us a little bit about him and your family. So Hudson is two and a half. Um, and he is, I, I think it's gone by so fast. It feels like just yesterday I was, you know, we were we were meeting him for the first time uh, in the hospital. And, and now, I mean, he is this precocious, um, young man who is, or a little boy, I should say, he's not a young man yet, but a little boy who, uh, you know, he's he's a he's a good kid, man, and he really is, you know, taking it all in and taking everything that, uh, you know, he's trying to learn, you know, one day at a time, and uh, you know, the thing I like about him is he really protects his space, which is really cool because he doesn't just let anybody that he hasn't met before or. Um, or has seen a long time, just come up there and you know pick him up and, and hug him and stuff. He's very uh, meticulous on on who's in his space and who gets to be in his space and earn that trust. Um, but uh, he's definitely the apple of our eye, and 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 I, I just from on my end, are very proud and happy to be you know his dad. So. The voice you hear today on episode 15 of The Fatherhood is that of uh, Todd Wilson, Williamson, um, great friend of mine, fellow Hamptonian, outstanding guy, husband and father. Um, 
so Todd, one one thing I ask all of all of my my guests who come on the show is, what does being a father mean to you? So, what does being a father mean to you, Todd? To sum it up, it means everything. I say sometimes it's my, I think it's my life's mandate, and it is to you know guide, mold, um, as well as in a sense listen um, and and adapt. Uh, it is something that I a role I don't take lightly at all. It's the most important job that uh, I will ever have, um, and I don't think I think that my uh, how I turn out, not how I turn out, but how my son turns out will be the uh, kind of the reflection of if, if we did a good job or not. Uh, but it definitely means everything, mainly because my own father was such a important role in, in my life. And so I know that um, a lot of who I've become is because of him. Um, and I know that there's a lineage with that that goes way back. Um, and so I just need to do my part uh, to carry on, you know, my family's name and legacy, but also make sure that that Hudson uh, is a is a respectable and contributing human being. Let's actually stay right there, Todd. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you. Um, one of the things I admire about you is how you really acknowledge how much uh, your dad has meant uh, to you in your life. You really incorporate him from what I see into everything you have going on. So. Tell me a little bit about him and what you learned uh, from him about what it means to be a dad. Well, you know, he means he means the world in a sense because, you know, I uh, my sister and I lost our mother when we were eight years old. And it was when I was eight years old and she was a senior in high school. So it was a critical time for both of us. Um, and he raised me on his own. Um, and. Uh, even before my mother passed away, you know, one of the things she said to me was, you know, that's that's your example. And I'd already understood that um, I, I wanted to be, you know, just like him. I thought he was very cool. You know, he was uh, he had been in the marching band at Mars Brown. I thought all his friends were cool. You know, <laughs> he was alpha. He, you know, had a Mustang. You know, he was just this. But then when I actually got to with the with him raising me, there are a lot of life lessons um, that he instilled in me that I think that I, it, it seemed like it might've been going one year out the other, but once I got to Hampton, for example, and I was out, out of his nest, um, I started using them in practice. Um, and just some of those lessons they've, they've carried on, um, you know, throughout life. So in, in keeping with that theme, that, that, that idea, um, how has fatherhood changed you? How old is Hudson now? He's two and a half. He's two and a half. So in, in these two and a half going on three years, how has your life changed uh, since he's since he's been around? I think that it's, you know, I'm more uh, mindful of, you know, my actions and how I approach um, different uh, challenges. Uh, I, you know, honestly, I was, I've been preparing for this since my teen years and not to say mm-hmm. I wanted to be a father as a teenager, but in my you know, I'd say 15, 16, 17, I had already started thinking about how I wanted to, uh, you know, what kind of example I wanted to be um, and what kind of person I wanted to be so that when my child or children did uh, grace this earth, you know, would I be someone that they that I, that they would consider worth, um, not so much as emulating, but uh, would, would trust and see as, a, as an example. Um, and, and I think that it's only been exacerbated over the last two and a half years um, of kind of just being mindful of how I approach um, different things and, and also 
I don't think anything prepares you to be a parent or a father, but once you're in it, I think certain natural instincts take over. And there are also things that you just can't expect and you can't always prepare for, um, you know, that, that come with fatherhood. And it's a grow, it's a maturation. For example, I'm not the same father to him now that I was when he was a year old or when he was an infant. Um, and I think as, as he gets older, I'll also start adapting with that change. So, so what's changed? I think one is the kind of the dialogue between us um, and his own development and his reactions. Um, for example, I used to be very protective of him um, as a, you know, in his infant years, and I think around, you know, one, um, just because I don't know if we were in the far country or just very looking at him like he was very delicate in a sense. Um, now I'm a little bit more, I don't want to say lenient, but I'm a little bit more, um, willing to kind of just step back and observe. Um, and I, am also able to, uh, you know, give, respond based off of the feedback that he gives me a little bit more now than I could, let's say when he was a year old or, or a little bit younger. Interesting. Uh, Todd Williamson, uh, joining me today on the fatherhood podcast. Um, Todd, your career, um, took you and your wife o- over to uh, Berlin. And today I want to talk a little bit about, you know, that that culture experience for you, particularly uh, as a dad. So um, tell us about that experience. Yeah, so in 2015, you know, I was awarded a Robert Bosch Foundation Fellowship. It's a fellowship that the foundation has been doing since 1984, and they select 15 Americans out of you know, hundreds and hundreds of applicants. Uh, and so it was a, it's a fellowship that, um, that allows you to work in German organizations, either in government, private sector, or nonprofit based off of your background. And so my background was public policy and international relations. Uh, and so I was placed at a think tank, uh, there and that was, it's a year long program. And after it ended, I was hired on a political consultancy, geopolitical risk consultancy, that started from the ground up. I was like the first employee. Uh, and in, by the time we left, it, it has three offices and, um, and, and multiple uh, employees and, and several clients. And it was definitely eye-opening because we don't realize how U.S.-centric a lot of our focus is hmm. just in life, everyday life and conversations. Um, that I think that when we were in Berlin, we were to meet so many people from all over the place because it is an international city similar to New York, but the U.S. and our issues and our problems and things were not always the heart of the conversation. And you could hear someone from Brazil, you know, conversing with someone from China or Australia about, you know, their issues um, and, and, and what was going on in their, in their country. So that was very unique. Now, th- this was a career move. This is something you 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 saw, was interested in it, applied, and it, you know you were fortunate enough to get that opportunity. Um, was that in the plans to start a family there, or was it a thing like let me go over and do this fellowship, you know, and then come back to the states and continue, uh, you know, building roots over here? Honestly, the plan was to go to Europe. We just didn't know how to get there. We'd always talk about living abroad, um, and you know, applying the old fashioned way was a little bit tough because you didn't have, you know, have the right to work in the EU. Um, and so fellowships were kind of a, another avenue of how to get abroad without, um, you know, having to go through necessarily the employee visa 
type of um, you know block and roadblock. And so, uh, you know, it was it was something we'd always plan on doing. As far as having a family over there, it was kind of like we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we knew we were going to get the actual wedding was going to be while we were uh, abroad, and you know, we didn't know that you know Hudson would arrive as soon as he did. Um, almost a little bit t- about ten months after the wedding, uh, and the idea was to stay over there for a while. Uh, I think the challenges of raising a child abroad are something that kind of hits you in the face, um, <laughs> and being that far away from grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends um, can have you kind of assess some things differently. So, how did you guys prepare? I mean, this wasn't a plan. This is something you and your wife, Jasmine. Um, wanted to do. Um, you, you guys obviously had that. That um, you guys were in line with that 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 thought, those ideas. How did you plan in terms of? Okay, we're going to bring this child to the world, thousands of miles away from home, thousands of miles away from familiarity and family and friends. I think we were we had started to build one. We had started to build a really good support system over in Berlin. One, but I say even more importantly. You know her maternal side. Their their mother, her mom's family. They're all in London. Uh, my sister at the time was living in Germany. Now she's in the Netherlands. Uh, there's a you know there's we had friends in uh, throughout Europe and stuff. Uh, and so I think we were thinking, okay, you know that's that's very helpful. And we did go to London. It seemed like almost once a month for a while there, um, so that Hudson could be around his cousins. He's got so many cousins over there. And that was very helpful to an extent, um, but we were, we were also like, hey, we have to rely on each other and get through this, um, you know, and taking it one day at a time. There were several things that made having him in Germany easier, and and from just the birth standpoint and the insurance and all that. But then from sometimes from the day to day, we really had to rely on each other heavily in a way that I don't think we would have had to here in the States. So let's, let's stay right there, man. What were some challenges um, specific to raising him in Europe that you may not have had, um, had he been raised uh, over here in the States? Well, I'll give you an example. He got really sick um, this time a year ago um, when he had had, you know, his fever was up to 104 for multiple days. Um, his eyes are swelling. Uh, you know, he was he was um, just not with it. I mean, he's lethargic, and we took him to the emergency room. And the emergency room over here, like, means you know you might have to wait in a line or what have you. But is you feel like okay, if something really goes bad, he's you know going to be plugged up to a whole bunch of tubes, and they're going <laughs> to do all these battery tests and what have you. There, that's not the case. It's very holistic, and they're all about you know, herbal medicines and things like that. And when it's one in the morning, two in the morning, you're worried about your child and you get in the cab or you take the tram to the hospital and everything's in a foreign language. The the doctors who are running that overnight shift, they're probably the least likely to um, speak English or, or fluently. And you're talking about complex things. Like saying bronchopneumonia in German is not something that's just going to register in your in your brain mm-hmm. if you've been speaking English your whole life. And, and we did have a, a decent, you know, we had somewhat of a grasp on, on German, but not well enough where you feel comfortable where, it, like I said, it's two in the morning and your child has 104 fever and 
um, you know, you want to make, you want to hear, you want to know everything. And sometimes things just weren't translated. Um, I know that was one of the, one of the, I think, fork in the road moments where we're like, okay, we really need to consider moving back, moving back home. So you were exposed to a lot, it seems. I mean, you, you grew up in Atlanta. Um, so as an American-born father, um, raising a son in Germany, there are some things that you were exposed to that you would not have been exposed to otherwise had you, say, raised Hudson or he was born uh, in Atlanta. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd say one is, you know, one of the things we talked about, you know, offline was the daycare side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a positive, you know, because the ta- taxes are higher, usually in Europe, than they are here. But I will say this, you get to see where your money is going. Um, and you feel it. When you go to a doctor's office and you can just walk out of there, there's no copay, regardless of what your insurance plan is on the on the public insurance spectrum. Uh, when he can go to a, a daycare that he's learning German and English and you're paying, you know, roughly around 120 euros a month, he's there all day, he's got field trips, organic mm-hmm. food, um, and, you know, he's, you can see the development there. Um, and, and the only reason you had to pay money was because he was having to learn English. It was just German and it would have been for free. Uh, and that was one of the things I think that we wouldn't have experienced. And also I think you could even say Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta, you know, people say Atlanta's like Wakanda. I mean, it really, it really is. <laughs> it's predominantly, it's predominantly black. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and growing up there, it was a very, very special experience. But, you know, Hudson's just the friends, even outside of his school, mm-hmm. just the ones that we would hang out with on a day-to-day basis. You know, one was Brazilian. Um, you know, another was, you know, Australian. Uh, one of his best friends at school and outside of school. She's half Nigerian-American, half Swiss. Um, so it was this kind of multicultural experience that you were that we were having um, right then there. And, and, and you didn't have to go far, um, to, to provide him with this experience. For example, that Brazilian couple, whenever Hudson was around them, I told, uh, her, you know, his friend's dad, I said, Hey, when Hudson's in your homes, speak Portuguese, like speak your language. Um, and just the languages he was exposed to, uh, it was, I think was, was priceless. So it really wasn't hard um, to really cultivate a community outside of the people that uh, the family that Jasmine knew over there. For for you guys outside of family, just as friends and meeting people, it really wasn't hard to cultivate a community. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? It, it wasn't. And I think part of that was um, circumstance. Another part of that was, you know, Jasmine having, you know, connections over there already kind of via six degrees of separation through um, a friend of hers who lived in Geneva. And and then just like birthing class also was a was an area where we met people um, and, you know, parents going through, uh, you know, this class together. All the women were pregnant around the same stages. And, you know, you we kind of hit it off with some of them and kept in touch. And when the babies were born and, you know, we'd be around each other. And it's a very Berlin is a very kid friendly place. So you could go to the park and or you could go to different restaurants and things like that and, and bring the children. It was not a big deal. And they all got to grow up together. And so I think there were kind of the pre Hudson friends we had and those stuck with us through, you know, and we're still around after he was uh, born. And then there were the ones we met through the through the pregnancy and and they and they you know remained friends after he was born and 
when you combine the two, plus the relationships that I had made through the Bosch Fellowship, uh, we were really able to build a, a network right there in Berlin. So how did you guys prioritize making trips um, back home, back to the States to visit your family, uh, her family and other friends uh, back home? Well, we decided to go twice a year uh, around the holidays and then once in summer. A lot of times uh, either my work or Jasmine's work, and it's more so her work, would bring us back to the States in the summer. Because either Hmm. she had a film that was, one of her films was, uh, being screened at the Soho House in West Hollywood till we were in LA for a while with another Hamptonian, Marty Hines. Both of them have a production company together. Uh, and, and then we would spend time, you know, visiting each other's family. So in Atlanta, we go to Atlanta for a little bit and then um, go to uh, come here to the New York area to be around her family. And then Christmas, we would spend time with her family through Christmas and then mine during New Year's. Um, and that's how we decided to break it up. And we would stay for about a month at a time, uh, so we were at home for you could say two months out of the out of the year. So, so aside from just you know fatherhood and you know everything that comes along with that, how did your perception of Western culture um, change having been over there for that time period? I mean, it's you know it's all you know if you consider Europe and the U.S., you know it's it's all considered Western culture, but they're just different aspects mm-hmm. of that 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 you know dichotomy of Western culture in a sense or Western yeah. civilization, but they just they you know, to sum it up, um, you know they work to live and we live to work. Hmm. That that's pretty much sums it up. Um, they if I said if I came to the office and I said, you know, man Hudson had a bad cough, you know my boss would be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> should, should be home. You know, uh, and when I was in a, you know, with my previous employer before I left, um, you know, to go to Berlin, you know, there was a woman who had had a baby and then like, it like two and a half, three weeks later, she was back in the office. Yeah. We were applauding her for it. And now that I see everything that, you know, Jasmine went through after Hudson was born and just, you know, that physical recuperation that you have to go through. Um, as a mother who just gave birth, I, I don't know how that was even physically possible or why that was even considered, uh, you know, a good thing whatsoever. But also another thing is the, the access to be able to travel. So Hudson's been to 12 countries already hmm. and he's not yet three. Where here, because the United States is just so large geographically, and I don't know what the airlines are doing, where they're charging as much as they are, um, it cost me more. It would cost me more to go from here to Atlanta to, to see my family than it would be for us to go to Venice or um, to go to Bucharest or you know wherever the, the case may be or where we're going. Uh, and you know, travel and to get around and to see different things is much much easier. Yeah, yeah. So, so after about four years um, being based in in Germany, you guys recently um, moved back to the states, um, setting up shop in New York. Was that the long term plan all along? Not all along. I, I think um, you know, like I said, a year ago when he you know, got really sick and we were you know going through, <laughs> it felt like rough diplomatic relations mm-hmm. at a hospital, trying to figure out what was really wrong with him. Um, I think it was a kind of like a moment where 
a watershed moment there where it was like, all right, let's head back. But I say for the better part of a year, that was the plan. Let's get back to New York. Um, and so I started looking at opportunities and it took about a year and it was a challenge trying to find um, an opportunity and the right opportunity um, coming from abroad, being abroad. It's already tough enough when you're in the States mm-hmm. and you know, you're looking for that next position, but when you're doing it abroad, um, you know, this, I'm sure to an employer, it's all kinds of red flags. Okay. What do you, you know, what, what took you to Germany and why are you going to come back and what's all, you know, what's going on there. <clears throat> um, and so it was the plan for the better part of a year to get back um, and just try to figure out what the best opportunity for that, for that is mainly so we can be closer to family. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, one of the questions I really wanted to uh, ask you, Todd, um, you know, for you coming back to New York, you and Jasmine, this is coming home. This is what you know. This is where you grew up. Um, it's familiar to you guys. You have a bunch of friends and family here. But for Hudson, even though he's at a young age, two and a half years old, you know, he's going to be starting in a, in a, in a new country. Him. So how has that transition been? You know, it hasn't been as rough as I thought maybe it would be. Um, and I you know, I think that because he would come here, you know, like I said, twice uh, a year, and that's like two months, I think he, and Berlin is, it's a city, right, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of trains and buses and noises yeah. and sounds, and so I think he was able to make that transition. Um, I think school, he, it took him, I think it took him a little bit, but uh, one of the things that kind of made me scratch my head was an adjustment I had to make. And that was, you know, I was kind of discouraged not to speak German to him. And Hmm. I, you know, everything is so English centric here, English, English, English. And I, I, you know, that's something that I had to, I'm still having to kind of cope with every day is, and I still want that to be a part of him is is that language, even though I'm not fluent, I would speak it to him um, sometimes. And um, there's just been a strong pushback against that. Um, but overall, he's really uh, he's transitioned well, and I think it's mainly because he's so young. That's great, man. So, what what were some things um, while in Germany that you picked up on from other fathers um, that you may not have picked up on had he spent his first couple of years in in, in the states? You know, I think. There was a, I'm not going to say I would have had it in the States. I definitely would have had it in the States because there's so many, uh, even right here in our Hamptonian family that, you know, of, of his fathers that, you know, either people that I know um, or people that, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, admire from afar, such as yourself. You had uh, Sean Woodley on it, Dr. Sean Woodley, I should say, <laughs> um, I think last month or a couple of months ago. And, um, that you know, that's another you know, person I think you can you know, look up to and, and say, okay, he's you know, an admire. But I think that the there were other ex- expat dads, you know, fathers who were not in their home countries and how are they coping? How are they adapting that? I don't think that I would have been able to get here mainly because, you know, this is where we're all from um, and just their perspectives, you know, what, what are their backgrounds and how are they reared by their fathers being in England or Australia or Brazil? Um, you know, and also what it meant to be a black father hmm. abroad. There was a, one of my closest friends, Paul's from Baltimore, went to Cobbin State. And we met the first night, the first day we, we got to Berlin, we met at the club. And two and a half <laughs> years later, we're at the, we're at the park yeah. <laughs> with our sons 
you know, and and having his ear for us to be able to bounce ideas off of each other and, and what it's like to be black fathers abroad um, and perceptions and things of that nature uh, was very helpful. Um, so yes, I could have spoken to other black fathers, but we both wouldn't have been in a country that's not our own. And also just hearing perspectives of being expat fathers from, from dads who are from other countries, not the U.S., was just something that was very unique. That, that's an interesting point, Todd. I hadn't really thought about it before um, our discussion. Being, being a black father um, in Berlin for a couple of years, raising a black son, what was that dynamic like for you? And what type of uh, issues, if any, uh, did you face? You know, I honestly didn't face um, issues, I'd say. I think that it was a perspective, you know, I, I talked to one of the folks at the, at the Bosch Foundation. I said, man, you Germans sure do like to stare. <laughs> and, you know, you, you know, here it's like you don't just stare at people. In the yeah. United States, that's in, especially in our community, you don't just stare at folks. Um, but their stares weren't – I didn't get the vibe. Their, their stares are more out of curiosity yeah. and not of just this – there's a totally different vibe. You get stares from people sometimes who don't look like us here in this country – and also, when, even beyond Germany, when we go to, when we were in Venice, when we went to Romania, um, when we went to Latvia, we were in many of these countries, especially the eastern part of, of, of Europe. Um, if we were in Slovakia, it's not France, it's not uh, the UK, you know, it's, it's not Spain, where they see their fair share of Black people. The Netherlands... Eastern Europe, they don't, they really don't see a lot of us. And I just think even aside from being a black father, just the black family unit mm-hmm. um, was something that was new to them. And sometimes they want to take pictures. They <laughs> want to go, we were in Greece. We were in Thessaloniki. They wanted to, just one um, older lady, she wanted to just have a conversation with us. Like, where are you from? Like, how did, how are you here? And, you know, they just thought they were fawning all over Hudson. Yeah. Because they thought they, we was this gorgeous little, boy um so how did you and jazz manage that i mean did you oblige or did you kind of just ignore them or what you take that on a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. um there was a man who was with his whole family and they just wanted pictures with us and we were cool with it um because we were all in the same restaurant they were next table over we you know it started having conversations with them and got to know them a little bit better but then there were sometimes people just want to come up there and start you know touching his cheek or his face and mm-hmm. you know you're like hey we're good on that yeah we're, yeah you know, they, but that's not, but that's cultural, right? Like it's not, it's, it's cultural. Like it's more, that's more likely to happen over there than, than here. And, 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 and you know, for people not to expect consequences. Um, and so part of it was flattering. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was, you know, you did kind of feel like, at least from my perspective, like, um, you know, you kind of had to represent for all of us because yeah. how many times are you going to be in, uh, you know, in Slovakia or the Czech Republic or Latvia, Lithuania, and they're going to see the next black person, let alone a black American. Um, so I kind of felt that in in regards. Yeah. So so the roles are reversed now. I mean, having been over there for a couple of years and then making those two trips a year, um, like you mentioned for for you and Jasmine and Hudson to come over to the states. Now you're you're setting up shop here. This is home now. Is the plan to go back over there and visit since you already have those relationships over there, family over there to, to continue to go over there now with Hudson. 
I mean, the plan is to take it one day at a time while we're here in the state. <laughs> <laughs> the plan is to try to get him in a long-term daycare situation yeah, yeah. Uh, through kindergarten and first grade and all that and figure out um, just that day-to-day stuff. But look, I'm not totally against going back over there. I, I do mm-hmm. want it when I go back over. The lesson I learned is I want to go under the right circumstance yeah. um, and, and make sure that we have the stability that we would need um is is the number one thing i'm told i'm not against totally going back but i know that how i know how important it is to have family nearby and to be around our community uh and and it's you know and that's very important i mean hudson's never even hudson's been to you know portugal and on lake geneva but he ain't been to homecoming yet (laughs) (laughs) we gotta get the priority situation absolutely man i need to get him to uh you know the celebration bowl in atlanta mm-hmm. I need some stuff man I need yeah that, that bring, we need to enjoy home for a little bit absolutely man last question todd i really appreciate you joining me on the fatherhood podcast today great conversation so throughout this entire ordeal you know moving over to berlin uh having hudson um experiencing all those things that you just just talked about um uh, as a black man and a black family overseas how has what have you learned about fatherhood and what have you learned about yourself through this entire process I think I've learned that, um, you know, you take the day as it comes um, and, you know, you, you know, my dad used to always say, you always got to keep your head on a, on a swivel. You know, my uh, my football coaches, he's always say, you know, you have to have tunnel vision, you have to have, be focused. And my dad was like, nah, no, 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 no. In football and in life, you need to have your head on a swivel and always be aware of your surroundings and think about the different um, scenarios and how, you know, you can, the day-to-day preparation of just life. And I think when, um, you know, incorporating, you know, Hudson's well-being and the things that he needs on a day-to-day basis, I think the biggest shift has been, it's not about, it's not about us. I mean, you've seen this firsthand. It's not about us. Not to say our hopes and dreams end at all or anything like that, but, um, you know, the first priority is them and it should be them. Um, And what's best, what's best for for them and I think that that's how much I've changed I was very career driven and very chasing after um I you know I was always trying to when I was growing up you know my dad would I thought you know if I thought I was doing something really well you know my dad would say oh you know you're getting there you know you're getting there so I was always kind of saying hey dad is this am I there yet you know now it's it's a whole nother planet now it's um, you know, I think I've, uh, my sister and I have both in a sense, I don't want to speak for my dad. Maybe we've superseded what his expectations might've been mm. for us, but now that's, that's in the way rear view mirror. Now it is about, am I doing the things on a day-to-day basis, um, to put Hudson in a position to succeed, um, at life. And that doesn't mean, you know, financial rewards or anything or, or having just a great job, but can he be a person who can contribute to society and just be a, a really good person, a decent person. You know, I have to do the things on a day-to-day basis um, to o- eventually get to that overall goal and, 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 and make sure that I am rearing him right um, and making sure that I am preparing him for life in a time when Jasmine and I aren't here. So that's, the, that's my, uh, my main driver. Todd, man, I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Welcome home. Uh, glad, glad you're back over here. And thanks for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jamar. All right, my man. 
I want to thank my man, Todd Williamson, for joining me on the podcast today. And as always, thank you for listening. You know, you can find the show on social media at The Fatherhood Podcast on IG. And on Facebook, you can like The Fatherhood Podcast page. And as always, you can catch me on my personal pages on social media at Jamar Hudson on both IG and Twitter. As you should know by now, the podcast drops every Saturday and can be found on major streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and TuneIn. And if you happen to be listening to the show on iTunes, be sure to drop a rating and review. I'll be back next week with another guest and more conversation about being a dad. I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is The Fatherhood.